You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lelada G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha's uh, mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. What is one word that you would use to describe your black girlhood? Unknown. Mm. Not popular. Okay. Non appreciative. Did you know when you woke up that day that this is the day? No, I did not wake up that day. See, people think suicide is something you just decide the night before when it actually isn't. It's something that I had thought about it for a while. And then what happens? You walk into the church. I walk into church, hands up, crying, of course, and the first lady of the church come back and goes Sharon what's wrong and he kept saying Sharon get back here then eventually he told the church look at Sharon and say Sharon the Lord loves you and by time you heard the word Lord that's when you heard the gunshot I think it's important for those who are listening to remember that there is always a possibility for hope no matter how hard, how difficult, how dark life gets, there's always the opportunity for a spark. So thank you for joining the Defending Black Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lalita G. And in our conversation today, we'll be talking with a woman who survived a suicide attempt. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts, Tell someone who loves you. You could also call the Suicide Lifeline. It is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. Again, 800-273-8255. This is an absolutely free service that provides confidential support to those in distress and crisis. And so you don't have to get yourself together before you call. You don't have to wipe away your tears or the snot from your face. Call them in the middle of your situation, and they will help and support you and get you connected. All right, so my guest today has lived an extremely fascinating life. While in high school, she was named the Female Athlete of the Year in Tennessee for excellence in track and basketball. She received a basketball scholarship to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. She was one of the first Black women to be named to the U.S. rugby team and even met the Queen of England. So what led her just four years later after meeting Queen Elizabeth to a dramatic suicide attempt at age 27 in 2000? Our guest is Sharon Johnson. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so very much. I am just really looking forward to our conversation. You know, we had some pre-talk about what we'd be talking about today. And I think this is an important conversation for a lot of folks to hear and to hopefully be inspired by. And so I want to start off with just asking you, what is one word that you would use to describe your black girlhood? One word I would use to describe my black girlhood would be unknown, Mm. not popular. Okay. Non-appreciative. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So especially with the starting off with the unknown, tell me a little bit more about why you would name it that. Because it's like no matter what you do, people still don't see you. No matter what you achieve, they say you need to do this, do that. They still look at you like you're nothing. Mm. No matter how far you go in life, I mean, you can achieve the highest of high, and it's still like you're nothing, even to a family, to society, things of that nature. That's why I say unknown. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. And I think a lot of times, which is one reason why we're doing this podcast and focusing on these topics that most impact us as black women, as black girls, is because we are often misjudged, unseen, seen in the wrong way, pushed aside, pushed down, pushed to the front line. And this is an opportunity to be known, to be seen, and to be heard. As I was reading some of your experience in accolade, sports was a really important part of your life. How did you get involved in sports? My uncle, Jerry Johnson movement too but you know growing up in the south i played with a lot of my male cousins outside and then when my uncle saw what i could do he got me involved more on a professional level you know where okay. instead of outside in the yard more in schools or things of that nature okay. oh it's my uncle jerry johnson okay so besides this street ball or this playing around the playground he saw that you had Something special about you. Yes, I had skills. So he got me involved in almost every sport I could, being in high school, you Mm -hmm. know, in schools back then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know you played basketball, rugby, you did track. Mm -hmm. You was a busy girl. Very. I played every sport I played, volleyball. I was always in sports. Sports was like my escape goal from life, period. That's what I used as my escape go to my coping scale mechanism okay. yeah so what didn't people know while you're out there excelling being named across the state of tennessee and getting awards and all these things what didn't people know was going on in your home as a girl that i was hurting that i was abused that not only did i not really just love myself i didn't feel the love of family i felt unappreciative or an outcast mm-hmm. or an outsider Okay. Mm -hmm. And why did you feel that? Like, what were some experiences that you had that led to you feeling like that? Not being included or invited to certain things or just not anything. Like, you can be sitting right there next to it and they will look over or they're not attending your things. Mm -hmm. Like, I will have games and I'm looking in the stands, hoping to see a family member or something of that nature, and I won't see anybody but my brothers or mm-hmm. that went to school with me. Okay. Or maybe my, I mean, of course my uncle would be there because mm-hmm. I would have to play against him okay. sometimes, but okay. he would always be in the stands, but they wouldn't support me on that level. I would look up in the stands hoping that there's my auntie or there's my cousin and there was no one. So I want to stop there for a minute because I've heard a lot of young black athletes say that. And I don't know that people really understand the pain that that causes when you're out there giving your best Mm -hmm. and you don't see your loved ones. How did that feel? It felt like you wasn't doing enough Mm -hmm. or you're not doing enough or you wasn't making them happy. You know, I know the saying is... You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. But growing up, it's you feel like you have to have the the liking of everybody else mm-hmm. until you learn how to. It doesn't matter. But it just it was a big issue. And now I see, which I'm very happy, they're very supportive of, like okay. my other relatives. And I love them. But then again, it makes me angry because I'm like, why you guys couldn't do that for me? Right. I have cousins that are playing. And I mean... They would make it a function. We gonna go see so and so play tonight, mm. but but not you. No, wow. I don't even know if they even knew that I led the state in scoring or anything of that nature until maybe later. I don't even know if they knew everything that I achieved until later. Wow. You know. Wow. Well, we want to just applaud you right now because you just done some amazing things. 
And so when we were talking in our pre-conversation, you mentioned something that I already knew because I already knew your story a little bit of Mm -hmm. what you shared with me. Mm -hmm. So I knew when you said this, that this was going to be part of your story. And you shared with me that you had been sexually abused as a little girl. Yes. So do you want to share a little bit more about that? Well, I was molested for several years. And I don't think my family knew. I think they knew, but they act like they didn't. Yeah. And I was molested for several years. And that really not only hurt me, but turned me into the person that I am because I had to hide that and it hurt. Mm-hmm. And not only was I molested, but the man that was molested just happened to be my brother's father, who my brother ended up being named after. And it made me dislike him at first, but then mm-hmm. he became the love of my life because oh. I'm like, he's named after the man that was molesting me, that was beating my mother. And so I disliked my own flesh and blood just because he was named after this guy. Mm-hmm. Then I just had to love him. I ended up loving him to the utmost. He was like, my child, people would say, is that your son? I'm like, no, I mean, no matter what I did, I had him That's with me. You know, he was up here while I was in college. Every summer, I mean, he knew I'm getting ready to go with my sister. I, mm-hmm. I had him up here. He lived with me, went to school from my house. I tried to take him under my wing yeah. but because I hated him. Not hated him. That's a strong word, but disliked him growing up just because he was named mm-hmm. after the man that abused me and my mother. Yeah. So. And, you know, this is going to be something that I bring up many times on this podcast is the impact that sexual abuse as a child particularly has on the life. And as you look back now on your life, the various experiences and what led you up to your suicide attempt, do you see that as being part of the foundation of your pain and difficulty in life? Very much my foundation. Because it was like I told people and it didn't matter to them. Not saying it didn't matter, but they act like they didn't care, mm-hmm. including my own mother. So what did your mother do when you told her? Basically, nothing. And then uh, later on, a doctor got involved and then it was like they have to go live with their grandmother. So the court took us from my mother and took, gave us to our, our grandmother. So I had, my grandmother had to raise my older brother and I okay. because the court took us wow. from my mother. Wow. Mm-hmm. Was that a better situation for you when you went to go live with your grandmother? Most definitely. My grandmother showed love and the best man that she could, but it was just my, you know, grandmother and her husband, you know. Mm-hmm. So she showed love and I very much appreciate it. It was like, she would tell me that she loved me. She, My name was Sharon, and she couldn't go to my games. And then I would come home and say, she'll go, did you win tonight? And I go, yes, ma'am, we won. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying Sharon, she would say, she won. <laughs> so that became my nickname, she won, it. instead of Sharon with her because she wasn't able to attend my games. The first game my grandmother ever attended was my last game here. Wow. In Wisconsin when we was allowed, you know, how they honor the seniors. So my grandmother came up and that was the only game she was able to see me play. Wow. So. Wow. And what was that like having her in the audience? It was great. I mean, I have the highlight tape. I watched it over and over just to see her. Wow. Because she was able to, when they introduced the starters and they was like Sharon Johnson. She was able to walk out on the court with me. I was oh able to hold goodness. her hand. You know, she was able to hold me and that was just like the best feeling that I've wonderful. always wanted, you know. I just got chill bumps when you said that. So, you know. It's not like grandmama. No. Big mama. She's the reason who made me come to Wisconsin. Wow. So. How did that happen? Because something her brother did in a Vietnam War. In an African-American family, grandmother is the patriarch. No matter what she say, <laughs> that's what you do. If she say sit, 
you don't ask what. And right. she, I was deciding to go to some other college. And my grandmother was like, just because her brother wrote a letter saying, move the family to Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And none of them was able to go. She going to tell me, that's where you're going. Wow. God's of where I wanted to go. Right. I wasn't thinking about Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But my grandma was like, you going here. Right. And I'm like, I'm going where? <laughs> to where's what? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, even where is it located? Right. And she was like, well, her brother's name was Al. He was in the Vietnam War. And just because he said to his mother, move the family to Madison, Wisconsin, and didn't That's nobody come. Okay. So she was like, well, since nobody had the chance to go, you're going to go. You I said, that was for you guys. <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. I wasn't even thought about. Dang. So she made me go here regardless of where I want to go. Okay. So that's how I ended up here. That's interesting. You're absolutely yeah. right. I don't care how old you get. You Gra- never too grown that you don't listen to what grandmama say. Never. Right. She overrules mom. All, well, not almost. She overrules mom. Yeah. If grandmama say this, you do it. Right. Even if you think God told you to do something, you go go ask your mama. I think God told me to do such and such. <laughs> Is that okay with you? My goodness. So you came up to Madison, you know, after a great career in high school. You came up to Madison and you played football. How was your life and how do you feel you saw yourself, even though here you are now on the next level? Because there's a lot of folks who even play at the high school level, do well, but don't make it to that stage. Now you're on the Big Ten stage playing basketball. How are you feeling about yourself and what was your college experience like for you? My college experience was great, but deep down inside, I still was missing something. So mm-hmm. I would show a side of happiness and being okay, but deep down inside, you're still missing something from that little child. That little child still hasn't grown up yet. Yeah. It's, I'm still, I, it, I was still, but I enjoyed my life here. Mm-hmm. It taught me a lot. So. We went to the NCAA tournament in the uh we advanced to the second round and we was down and there was only three seconds left and I was given the ball and I hit the winning shot that Come on, girl. advanced us and that was great. Shay won. Yeah, Shay won. Shay won. Yeah, Shay won was, you know. And I was very excited about that. I mean, and you were here on campus as an athlete doing an exciting time, too, mm-hmm. when Wisconsin went to the Rose Bowl and yes. won in 1994, I yes. believe. Yes, yes. When uh, Wisconsin went to the Rose Bowl, I was here at UW, then that makes me feel good. Yeah. You know, it's like I was part of history, not only with basketball, but with football as well. You know, I didn't play right. football, but it was because as an athlete at UW, all the athletes get together and you can be like family. Yeah. So y'all thought I knew, y'all was better than everybody. <laughs> no, not that at all. <laughs> I not me. No. Maybe with others, but yeah. Not me. I was still that little girl from down south. Yeah, but you're right about that sense of family. So because I know you're still friends with some folks who were in the sports back then here yeah. in Madison now. Like Haywood Simmons is Still here, he he goes. I help him, and also the ones I know that are here, Michael London. I still hang out with Camille Williams, who's my best friend, and I met her going wow. to college. We came in to UW at the same time. So, nice. so again, we're talking to Sharon Johnson. We're going to be talking about how she has brought her life back from. The Edge of Death Through a Suicide Attempt in 2000. Suicide Lifeline is available 24 hours a day. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please have them give a call at 800-273-8255. And so I talked about, I think you said in 1996, you were one of the first black women to be on the U.S. rugby team. Uh, one after one game, the rugby coach here at UW was like, I want you to come to one of my rugby prizes. I'm like, what is rugby? <laughs> you know, being from down south, I didn't know anything about no rugby. And I right. went to one of the practice. I said, you want me to play that? <laughs> you know, I mean, they 
playing. It's like football with no pass. Only thing they had was a mouth guard, and I was like, "No, uh-huh. I can't do that." And then the next practice, I went, and I have not turned back since. My God, I, I, I end, it ended up becoming my love over basketball. I mean, really? I love yes. I loved her. That's so interesting for you at the college level. You're an adult now to never have played rugby, but then you end up making the national team. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. And so that even, as I said earlier, took you over to England for some of your match. And then you met the queen of England. How was Queen Elizabeth? It was great. That was the year right before Princess Diana died. Wow. So that was great. And, you know, it was weird because I'm like, I got to do what? Cursing? I'm not from here. <laughs> you know, and they was like, you have to. I was like, I'm going to try to shake my hand. And they were like, you can't do that. You have to curse. I was like, I don't even have a dress on. Uh-huh. And, they, and so I'm like, I got up to I'm like, she looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to speak. You, you stuck your hand yeah, out Yeah, I her. stuck my hand out. You know, and, and she was like. She just looked at you. Looked at me like. I committed a crime or something. I'm like, the Englands are supposed to, not me. I had no, I had on pants, and I'm like, I'm not supposed to curse it to you. What, yeah, but did she shake your hand? She was nervous at first. She was like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And she kept looking around. I was, and then eventually, she just went on, and that was very weird. And then that's everybody hilarious. was like, that's how you gonna represent us? I'm like, I apologize, but. That's how it is. But you know what? I bet you she remembered you <laughs> of everybody else that was trying to curtsy. You got that handshake. Uh, yes. That is hilarious. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And so that was in, what, 96 yes. when you went to England? Mm-hmm. So then what led you to four years later? Take us to that day when you attempted suicide. Did you know when you woke up that day that this is the day? No. I did not wake up that day. See, people think suicide is something you just decide the night before mm-hmm. when it actually isn't. It's something that you think of a long time because of the depression issue. And I had thought about it for a while. And actually, I don't know if we said this, but I shot myself with the gun and I let a friend of mine borrow my gun. Mm-hmm. And when I went to go get it, he didn't have it. So I asked another friend, do you know where I can get a gun from? And he was like, yes. So we went on the street and bought one for $50. And I, bought, I had this gun on me for a week. Wow. Everywhere I went, I I would go and let, I wouldn't take it in, but everywhere I had it with me. Wow. And if I can take it within, I would put it up under the car seat. And Did I was you- like, one of these days is going to be it. Dang. So, but did your friend ask you why you wanted the gun? He asked me. He just said, "Don't do nothing stupid." Of course, I was like, "Don't worry, I'm not." Yeah. But I already knew why I wanted the gun. But how many smart things do people do with guns that they buy off the street for fifty dollars? Nothing. They don't do many smart things. But right. he was just trying to be a friend and be helpful because I was like, I t- I lied to him, which I said I needed for protection because mm-hmm. he was like, "Well, then we can go here." Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show you how easy it is to get a hold to right. a gun. So we went and got it in another neighborhood of Memphis for $50. And I bought this gun and I had it with me. And it was like for a whole entire week, I'm like, it's going to happen. I just don't know when. So did your friend know that you were suffering from depression? No, no one knew I suffered from depression besides like the people I told like, my pastor or a close friend, but no one knew. Mm-hmm. You hide depression so well because yeah. for me, I'm the type of person that like to joke. Mm-hmm. So by me wanting to smile, I'm trying to make everybody else around me smile. Right. And to me, that's what depression does. What you want, you try to make everybody else do. So, right. and I've been depressed for years. Here I was 27 and I, finally made the attempt because I had been depressed all you know stuff had been building up mm-hmm. all those years mm-hmm. watching my mother get abused being taken away from not having a father figure 
and then feeling isolated from the family I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just weird. People think it's just you're supposed to have these accolades and all these material things, but that's just not it when you dealing with stuff. You're still hurting on the inside. Like I told right. you earlier, there's this little child that wants to be loved, and my biggest issue was I didn't love myself enough. Right. I value what other people said about me more so than I did how I felt about myself. And I knew that I had cheated a lot. Mm-hmm. And like my Uncle Jerry would tell me, you know, as well as my grandmother would tell me, you know, you've done things a lot of people have not done. Yeah. And, but that's not enough. That Those are material things. Right. But inside I'm still hurting. I still want that motherly love that. Yeah father that love or that family love absolutely because i'm doing everything that quote-unquote supposed to be right you know i'm going to college i didn't have a child before you know i was doing what was supposed to be right bought my Mm -hmm. got my house i was doing everything that's supposed to be right but it was like it was not enough right so because it's all on the outside yeah none of it is seeping in and none of it is feeding, like you said, that little girl mm-hmm. that's inside of us when she's mm-hmm. broken. There's the external things aren't enough yes. to heal that. And so, what's the day you decide that today I'm not leaving the car, the gun in the car? I'm taking it in with me. No, I left. I went to work. I was a counselor for juvenile delinquents. Okay. I left the car. I mean, I left the gun in the car. Mm-hmm. And I went to work, and I was, I just, emotionally, I couldn't take it anymore. I called a friend and was like, would you come down here and eat lunch with me? I don't want to be here anymore. And that friend was like, do what you got to do. I'm not coming down there. And then I called a family member, was like, I was crying. I was in tears. I was like, I need somebody to talk to. I ain't got time. I'm going to church, and, you know, this is family. And then it's, I was like, don't nobody care, so why should I care? So at that wow. point, I just threw it up. And then I left my job and got in the car. And then when I got in the car, I got the gun out, and I put it on the stand when I was like, okay, God, where this car this car leads me, this is where this, where this event is going to happen. Wow. So that's how that took place. So take us through that day. All right. So you're in the car now, mm-hmm. and then where did the car take you? The car took me to the church I had been going to for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what happens? You walk into the church. I walk into church, hands up, crying, of course. And the first lady of the church come back and goes, Sharon, what's wrong? Now, I had a jogging suit on. Of course, the gun is in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandmother's there, but I didn't see her. And I was like, I just need prayer. So she went and got the pastor. He comes back and I go, we need to pray. He takes me to the back row of the church. We knelt down and prayed. Then I will say about 30 seconds later, he gets up and go, we went to the altar. He got into the poor pit and I stayed knelt down. Is this a Sunday at, morning? Yes, I'm doing service. Okay. And I stayed knelt down on the floor and... We was praying, and it was just like something came over me, and I was like, just, I jumped up, I was like, get off of me. Mm. And so I just got up, and I turned around, and as I turned around, he kept saying, Sharon, Sharon, get back here. I wasn't paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, Sharon, get back here. Then eventually, he told the church, look at Sharon and say, Sharon, the Lord loves you. And by the time you heard the word, Lord, that's when you heard the gunshot. Oh, my God. That's when you heard the gunshot. I could have, everybody go, why didn't you just give it to your grandmother? Because my grandmother was there. But at that time, you were, I wasn't thinking about giving her the gun. I was just thinking about what I had to do. Yeah. So, and a deacon came and took off his suit coat and put it around my head to stop the bleeding. And that's what happened. I got it. I was in the car and I was told that when the ambulance pulled me off, I waved goodbye. Wow. 
And I went to the hospital. I got there at 1130. At 1, the doctor came out and said, y'all need to make a decision because she's not going to make it. My grandmother said, you better do what you got to do to keep my granddaughter here. Wow. And here I am. Wow. Yes, the bullet is still located and I have injuries from it, but here I am. Wow. So. Thank God again for grandmama's love. (laughs) She said, this is my baby. You do what you got to do. Yes. My Lord. Wow. Wow. Why do you think you use a gun? And I ask this specifically because a lot of times when women attempt suicide, they usually use something not as violent. They usually will take pills or something like that. Um, Why do you think you use the gun? I think this answer is going to be a look to, I don't know, learn from going through my therapist sessions and things of that nature. I was told the gun was embedded in my head when I was younger because the man that was molesting me used to sit me on the side of the tub and ask me, to perform oral sex on him. And if I wouldn't, he would shoot me, kill me, and kill my mother. So my therapist came up with, that's probably where the notion of using a gun, saying it will kill me or kill you come from. She said that's probably where it what? came from back and, when I was Did you say younger. he would hold a gun to your head? Yeah, he, when I was on the side of the tail and asked me to perform oral sex, and if I didn't, he would say, I'm going to shoot you and kill your mother. You already see I'm beating her up every day. Right. So it wouldn't be nothing. And they said that's where he got the idea of the gun came from back when I was younger. Wow. So that's why I use a gun, I believe. So then you're in the hospital, and you were in there for some time. Yes, I was in there for months from, like, May until November. I was in there for months. And then what kind of mindset do you come out with after you survive this horrific idea um ordeal i was very angry very angry because i'm like i'm still i was very angry you were angry that you survived yes i was very angry i survived damn yes because i was paralyzed completely on one side of my body Mm -hmm. i can't hear out of one ear nor see out of one eye and i had to have somebody to take care of me, which my auntie, God rest her soul, stepped up because they wanted to put me in a home. But my auntie said, I will take her in. Wow. And I was very angry because here it is now. I got to go through all this. Uh, and I'm like, God, why'd you keep me here? Why'd you just, why didn't you just, I was angry with him. Mm-hmm. I was just angry. Like I should have pulled the trigger. Twi- oh, did I not put it in the right spot? Because I put it here, mm-hmm. and I was like, should I have gone in my mouth, or wow. should I have gone to a different spot because it did not work? So I was angry. Wow. I was questioning my decisions of where it happened at. So when did you move from anger to something else? To be honest, in a way, I'm not going to joke with you. I'm still a little angry. Okay. Because when things happen, I look up at God, I go, why'd you keep me here? For what? You kept me here to go through this because I'm still struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't still have that. And my grandmother is, is deceased because she died like a month later. Wow. And she died from cancer. And I still struggle. And I'm like, you left me here for this? Because everybody says you're here for a reason. God mm-hmm. kept you here for a reason. It wasn't your time to die. I understand that. Because I was raised in a church. I know all about God, I love God to death, but it was like, I'm like looking at God, I'm, I get angry with him. I'm all, my question to God is always, why you keep me here? Mm-hmm. And they go, he has a purpose for you. Well, what's the purpose? You know, I'm still angry with him. So I yeah. haven't really moved from, I've moved from anger, but I'm still upset yeah. about it. Yes. Wow. Well, we were talking about the power of story and mm-hmm. telling story. And I think it's important for those who are listening to remember that there is always a possibility for hope. No matter how hard, how difficult, how dark life gets, there's always the opportunity for a spark. And so as you've been 
fighting with yourself, fighting with God, trying to find what your purpose is, why you're here, you share with me that you want to use this experience, use your life for good. Yes, I do, because people think depression and and anxiety is just a one-night thing or it's not real or a pill will help it. And that's not necessarily true to me because I like myself. I've been dealing with it for years. Here it is. I was 27 years old when I, so I, it was years and years of anger and depression. It's not an overnight fix. It's not something you can go to a counselor and it's always not that easy. It's not, I'm going to take some pills for antidepressant and it's gone. It's still (laughs) there. I take, I've been taking antidepressant pills for the longest and I still have depression and anxiety. So, it's a, the struggle is real. You know, as someone weird. who has um, struggled with depression, anxiety, myself, the struggle is real. And sometimes people will even ask you, they'll be like, well, why are you depressed? And I and I think that's part of just the use of language. You, you don't just feel depressed about a situation. You can't even just say I'm depressed because I just broke up because I lost my job. You know, it's a physical it's not one situation. Thing. It's not just about something bad happening in your life. Now you're depressed. Yes. You know, there's it's like not nobody, one thing. Right. Right. Like nobody asked somebody in, who has cancer. Why do you have cancer? Mm-mm. Yeah. It's not one thing, like you said, and it, and it builds up over years of unresolved, undealt with pain. That's why I love, I've been going to Everett. Mitchell Judge Everett Mitchell here in Wisconsin. Yeah. Church, Christ of Solid Rock Baptist Church. And he was having a sermon on trauma. And he was like, instead of asking the person, what's wrong with you? You should say what happened to you. I love it. You know, because it's like, it's not what's wrong. It's what happened. Because something could have been growing like with me that little child hasn't. Yeah. You know, why are you struggling? What happened? And and I love and ever since he said that in sermon, I even my counselor's like, I love that. And yeah. I I'm I'm gonna have to start using that with my patient. And that has given me or has helped me so much because people normally they see you crying, it's always what's wrong? And you can go, Well, it's this, 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 and that. But it's just right. like you said, a breakup it's not just one thing, it's it's a camaraderie. It's just right. it's a lot of things, right? And and that's what I love because it just wasn't there. It just wasn't my family not love me, or it wasn't just my. The, it was all of my family not love my mother getting beat, mm-hmm. my mother being addicted to drugs, me being taken away, right? No father in the house. It's just it's, it's a, a lot, lot of things, not just one. And as Pastor Mitchell said, that child has not grown up right we can still be 50 years old and still there's that little child that's still in you right you know that is so true i love that yeah pastor mitchell is the truth and i love him that's where i've been that's where i felt where i've been feeling most comfortable too because i've been going to church ever since i was younger but it's so many different religions and it's like i've been going to this church trying to see if this is the right Way for God, I went to this church. I've tried every church except going to a Catholic church or Presbyterian church or things of that nature. But I've tried every church trying to figure out what is that God wants us to do because it's God wants you to do this, 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 and that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. I'm like, okay, God, which one is? We have so many different religions. You got this religion and this religion. In this religion, which I've learned now, it's just the relationship. It's not about right. a religion, and, and that's one thing that Judge Mitchell has taught me. And it's and I love it. I miss church, and I get upset sometimes when I miss church because I felt I've missed a lot. So yeah. I try to catch his live stream nice. of the day that I've missed. That's nice. I love it. And he accepts you for who and what you. I don't like. I feel like I'm judged because for one. My voice is deep, and then two, I don't like the most feminine female, and then my facial features or how I am physically. And when I walk in their church with him, it's like that is just another person. Yeah. When you walk in other churches, they're looking at you like, 
you're wrong and and with him it's like everybody is somebody and that's what I love. And I would sit up in the front most times where other churches I go to and I make sure I'm sitting in the back where I can't be seen or want you know, be noticed of things yeah. of that nature, you know. I'm really glad you found some place that yes, you can call I am home. too. So now tell me about soda. And am I talking about Coca-Cola, seven up? Tell me about soda. Soda is my like I told you, my best friend Camille Williams, who we came at UW at the same time, and she's from Waterloo, Iowa. And she feels like what I've gone through could help others. Yes. And I have talked to other people that have been struggling with it or that have committed suicide. I've talked to their families, and she was like, Sharon, you know, your story could help people. And she yeah. was like, we need to come up with some type of acronym or something to where you know, and I said sodas, and it's not Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, it's Sharon, S-H-A-R-I-N-G, on depression, anxiety, and suicide. So if people want to talk, we could talk about it. That's how that came about. And uh, she was like, you know, maybe we can use that and start that. It's just give you a platform to yes. talk on. And I I don't have a problem talking with at first I used to be embarrassed when people used to say, What happened to you? As you can see my eye there go, what happened? I would just be like I was shot in the head and I would lie and be like, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time until mm-hmm. I got comfortable and be like, Do you not judge? Yeah, I go, No. And then I go, Well, I shot myself. And then that's when people go, Well, I'm dealing with the same thing. Wow. I thought about that. And then that gives me a a way to talk to them or talk to their family. Right. So, you know, that's how why we came, that's why we came up with that. I love it because I, I do a lot of work with young black girls and the numbers of young black girls who are committing suicide is growing. It to, is. To the point where it is one of the top reasons that black girls between the ages of 10 and 14 die. So if if you were, sitting across from a, a young black girl who was contemplating suicide as a solution to the depth of the problems that she was dealing with, what message of hope would you give her? I would really ask her, first of all, does she love herself? Mm. Because I love what I was doing because it made everybody else happy. But deep down inside, I wasn't happy. So you got to put out what others say the thing is do you love yourself right and most if she say no then it leads to a different subject or they lead us to talk differently but suicide is not the final solution because that's how i thought but that's what i was thinking for years suicide is the final solution and as you can see it's not the final solution because i'm still here there's something else and i'm not gonna joke with you even though I tried it then, and I survived it. I've tried it since then a wow. couple of times because, like I told you, depression is not just an overnight fix. Right. It's not. And I tried it, and it didn't work then. I tried different things. Like, I tried the gun. Then I was like, okay, that didn't work. So let me try some pills. I've done that, and I'm like, that didn't work. So what else is there? So I said, if I tried it, if I tried again, I would jump in a lake because that would be all the. Wow. And then I had this one lady saying, you know, you won't want to do that because she was depressed. And she was she was going through. She was like, right. no, that's not something you want to do because. Drowning and suffocation that's horrific. are the worst deaths. Yes. And I was like, well, I that's the only thing there is left because, and I felt like I've said, okay, well, I'm going to run into traffic. And I was like, well, I'm not going to die there either. All I'm going to do is have a couple of bo- broken bones. You just, what you're not good at is killing yourself. What you have been good at is surviving and being here. There's a reason you're here. I, There's a reason you're here. I wish I knew it. And I talked to God and 
And it's like, you just got to sit back and wait till he talk to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's hard to discern his voice or you just hearing another voice. So right. it's like, I'm trying to figure out what it is. And one thing I've learned is that you can't be a minister unless you've gone through. Right. And or minister to people. And I'm not saying that's necessarily true because you have some ministers that have just got to have that calling. But a lot mm-hmm. of times, if you're not going through, how can you pull someone else through right. or understand what they're going exactly. through? You know, so, exactly. You know. But I think it's also important for you to understand. That was your phone. Yes, I'm so about so. I thought, I thought you said you t- cut off your phone. I thought I did too. I said, Sharon, cut off your phone. You was like, I ain't brand new. I cut off my phone. I, I-, I did, but then See? I told you I wanted to tell Camille because so <laughs> she lives in Washington. And I was, I really, I know this, that wasn't right or professional. I no, so no, apologize. That's, no, no, no. But if you notice, fine, if you notice the ringtone was Fred Hammond, wasn't it? Yeah, you thought I was worth saving, so you saved my life. Stop right there. That is my ringtone. It is but a no, gospel. stop I right can, there. I can, I can, I can play. It's that, that Fred Sharon, Hammond song. You, you just said living, so you it's can. hard to hear the voice of God. You just said that, and then your phone go off. And what did Fred say? You thought I was worth saving, so you saved my life. Now, that's a God moment right there. That's a God moment right there. God is letting you know. That he thought your life has been worth saving. Sister, come on. You're going to make me shout on here. <laughs> God is trying to let you know in this very moment that He, you tried to take your life. He has saved it every time. Now it's time to live it. Now it's time to live it. Now the other thing I want to tell you is you were saying that it's hard to hear the voice of God. But when we most hear the voice of God. Is when we look at the things that we do and we look at the people that we have an influence on and have touched, has there been any fruit from that? And that is God showing us. So you're telling me that when you share your story honestly, that you're able to encourage other people who have thought about suicide, who have attempted suicide. That's the fruit. And that's proof that God is using you. That's proof. You might be right about that. Yeah. And, you know, like like I told you earlier about the different religions and you have so many different, excuse me, quote unquote, Christians going, if you kill yourself, that for sure is not going to let you see God. Mm-hmm. You know, from the way I was taught, God knew who we were before we even came out. He right. knew every step. That I was going to do. God knew I was going to shoot myself the day I did it. I'm me. Everything about me, the curve, the the hair, God made all that. He created. So yes. he knew I was going to do that. So how you going to get on me and get angry at me because and say, God, this, this, and get on me about what God is doing? Yes, I don't hear the voice of God, but then I have to, I realize, I write it down. I'm going to go, okay, God, you, you saved me to do what? Yeah. I'm not able to do it, you know, because I can't get out and be the voice. You are today. You are today. That's like, that's one of the first time besides when somebody asks me, can Mm -hmm. you come and do this? But other than that, I can't be out and be the voice because I have no avenues of getting out there or being a part of, that's one thing I like about Haywood Sims. He, he used me with other Young people, yeah. you know, tell your story, and he he'll use me. He he lets me, but other than that, I don't know how to get out there. To well, this is the start, and this is the beginning, and this is why with the defending Black Girlhood podcast, we're having these type of critical conversations because you don't have to be on a huge, large platform. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be some notable person to have a powerful story and a powerful impact on the lives of others. And so what we hope is that by sharing your story, we help you to begin a platform of speaking. Again, we're going to go back to your acronym, SODAS. 
sharing on depression, anxiety, and suicide because it is secrecy that keeps us locked in, locked away, isolated, and in pain. But when we're able to share, tell our story, talk to other folks, is when we're able to start bearing some fruit. So I'm thoroughly grateful to you, Sharon, for coming on today. I hope to have you on in the future to talk some more conversation about this because it's a conversation that we, particularly as black women, need to continue to have because it's hitting us, it's hitting our girls in disproportionate numbers, and we have to have this. So I want to remind the listeners today that if you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts, have them call the Suicide Lifeline. It's available 24 hours a day, 800-273-8255. Find someone that you know loves you. Talk to them. If there's a spiritual person in your life that can pray for you, get with them. But what I want to encourage you to do is keep trying to do something until you get to the thing that will help you. There is hope in every situation. And no matter how dark it may seem today, know that light can come into your life. Sharon, thank you so much for coming on today. Yes. Might I just say one thing in response to what you said? It's yes. It's okay to talk to people. As soon as you tell people I'm depressed or I have this, is they look at you like it's something wrong with you. Unless you're talking to somebody that's been depressed and they understand it. So that's why I'm saying you got to keep on keeping on to the next person because somebody can't help you. doesn't mean that somebody can't help you. Oh, thank you. Yes. So you can, I had my whole big build up to, Shout out on the show when you came in with that question, but that's a good one because it's important to know, don't just stop because the first folks you get to don't have the capacity to help because there's somebody out there that will say, girl, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been there too. So thank you, Sharon. You got to come back on. No problem. I will. All right. That was a good conversation. And look, we mean this thing. We are not playing. We are committed to defending black girls. And look, we want you to get involved. Please visit Lalata.org to explore the work that we are doing to defend black girls to be safe wherever they are. And look, while you're there, please sign up for our mailing list so that you will not miss one single fearless conversation.